0: And we're entering a new season in the life of our church and a new season in the life of this city. So before I begin, let's just take a moment to pray. Let's just close our eyes and pray. Believe the Lord wants to speak to us this morning to refresh our vision, renew our hope, fill us and equip us to be the community of God he's called us to be at this particular moment in history. To see our city differently. To reimagine what it looks like to be a gospelized people in LA. So Holy Spirit, come this morning, I pray. Come this morning. Fill us afresh with your presence. That we might know your love. That we might know You're equipping that we might know your plans and purposes for our lives. Pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. And as we know, as we're stepping into this new season, the church is facing some crucial challenges. There's a cultural shift that some are calling post-Christian or post-dogma. There's distrust of authority and institutionalism. And Christianity is being pushed from majority to minority, from the centre to the margins. As the culture becomes more and more secular, there's sort of culture wars going on, which we've all been witness to. Let me reassure you that I am deconstructed, cancelled and very, very woke. Did you like that? Uh, I've also just had the vaccine. So if I fall over sideways, it's not wise to have a vaccine before you've got to speak three services. Help me, guys. Pray for me, please. (laughs) It falls upon every generation to reimagine how to live out the gospel in their context going to say that again, it falls upon every generation to reimagine how we live out as a gospelized community in our context. And as we know from the story of God, God's people have done that really well at times, but at other times, yeah, not so well. times, they've been faithful to their God and what he's called them to be and do, and times when they've colluded with the surrounding culture and its idolatries and lost their distinctive edge and identity in him. So like every generation, we have a choice right now as the church as to how we're going to respond to our cultural moment And there's no better place to look for guidance than the story of the early church in the book of Acts. So over the next few weeks, we're starting a new series called Acts, the church for the city. Acts, a church for the city. Called and empowered by God, the church in Acts catches a vision of how to live and shape their city. So this morning, I wanna take three snapshots of early church life and look at the way they are empowered by God to become city shapers. They, firstly, they were empowered to see. The early church were given a vision from God. Starts with vision. They were empowered to see. They were empowered to shape. God's Holy Spirit filled them and equipped them with power to shape and transform their culture. And they are empowered to live. The early church lived out a different economy of being. As the people of God, firstly, they are empowered to see. It's the presence of God that enables us to have a vision for our city. It's the presence of God that enables you and I to see out there differently than everybody else sees it. In Acts one three. 5. It tells us, after suffering, Jesus presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Just before the resurrected Jesus ascends to be with the Father, he tells his followers to wait in the city because he knows something is about to happen to them that's going to change the way they view reality, that's going to change the way they see their context. God is calling us, vintage church, to be a people who see our city the way he sees it, to view LA through his Eyes. And as we look back through God's story, we see at different times and at different places, God gives his people a vision for the city. In Genesis 18 23 to 33, God himself gives Abraham a vision of what he's going to do to Sodom. And as you know, there's this debate as Abraham intercedes and pleads with God over the vision he gets of what God's going to do. Jeremiah is asked twice by God, What do you see? What do you see? And God gives him a prophetic vision of what he's going to do in the city. Jonah's given a vision of Nineveh and asked to go there into the city and prophetically cry out over it. And we know what happened to him when he refused to do that. And in chapter 28 of Isaiah, God gives him a vision of the restoration of the city saying this, your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will rise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. Oh, Lord, do that in LA. We've just celebrated Palm Sunday, where in the midst of the triumphal entry, Jesus catches sight of the city of Jerusalem and moved by what he sees as a rejection of God's vision for that city, he cries out with prophetic compassion, Oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, if only you knew who you were meant to be. If only you knew the city that you were meant to be in God's vision. These are just a few examples of God giving his people vision and purpose for the city. And the history of the church shows us that the power to change the city always begins with a vision from God. Evan Roberts, in a letter to Sidney Evans at the beginning of the Welsh revival, on November the 5th, 1904, shares this vision. I had a vision last Thursday morning. Here it is. Near me, I could see a candle burning and casting its light around. Far away into the distance, I could see a sun rising and oh, what a sight it was. Not a winter, not an autumn sun, not a sun of spring, but the sun of a summer's morn. Well, there was something divine in it. Its beams were like long arms extending across the heavens. Now, what's the meaning of this, I asked? It's quite simple. The day is at hand. This is the beginning of revival fire. Oh, the great sun of revival is at hand. And Wales started a global revival that changed city after city after city after city. God is inviting us to see through the glamour, celebrity and sparkle of LA life into the heart of all that's broken, diseased and sick, not just for those trapped in poverty, but for those trapped in celebrity. So we need to begin by seeking God for a vision for our city, to see it through his eyes and catch a vision for what he wants to do here. Now, as some of you know, I've recently taken up hiking. <laughs> has giggled at both services when I have said that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We've seen each other in that, in that place called Temescal. That's a killer, that one. I've got boots to hike in. And... <laughs> On my Sabbath, I go walking at Will Rogers, hands up if you know Will Rogers, fantastic place, and I've uh, gone beyond sort of inspiration point up into the canyon and I've got these places where I perch myself and I can see uh, across the getty to the snow-capped mountains all the way through uh, Studio City, all the way through downtown, all the way around to Long Beach, all the way around to Malibu. And I've been taken to sit there for some time. In fact, last time I was there for so long, my wife texted me, are you alive, darling? (laughs) Because I sit and I can see the whole city and I'm crying out, God, give us a vision for what you want to do in LA. What's your vision from the Lord for this city? Perhaps you're being called to another place. Do you see what you're being called into? What's your vision from the Lord for this city? Next, the early church were filled by the Holy Spirit to shape the city. It's the presence of God working through us that empowers us to transform the culture around us. In Acts 2, 1-4, as the followers were gathered and praying, it says this, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire, which separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. I've looked at the original language where it says all of them, and it means all of them. All of them were filled with the presence of God. Pentecost begins with a powerful outpouring of the Holy Spirit accompanied by wind, fire and speaking in tongues and the early church is born and the fulfilment of God's great promise to indwell the hearts of his people takes place and centuries of expectation and anticipation find their realisation at this moment. All the longing... All the waiting, all the praying of God's people, crying out to God, remember your promises of old when you promised that you would come in a new way, that you would pour yourself out in a new way, that you'd fill your children. All of those prayers are realized at this moment as the Spirit is poured out. And through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus, the Spirit moves from dwelling in temples made by human hands to dwelling in the hearts of men and women. And we become living temples of the presence of God, the place where God chooses to dwell. And this slightly small, slightly confused and frazzled group of largely uneducated men and women go on to change the known world in the Spirit's power. We're here as a result of that moment. And as we read on through the book of Acts, which we're going to do over the next few weeks, we see a catalogue of miraculous events as the Spirit empowers and equips them to change the cities they find themselves in. And the same city that Christ weeps over in the triumphal entry becomes the epicentre of an outpouring of God's presence. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, the church breaks out of the upper room of fear into the streets of Jerusalem and changes the city. And within a short period of time, as we know, this small band of followers becomes a movement of thousands, transforming city after city after city after city. This is what we're going to be reading over the next few weeks. They become our model for what kingdom city shaping can look like. This is the age you and I now live in. The age of God's empowering presence, filling you and me, giving us a vision, filling us and equipping us to transform the culture we find ourselves in, empowering us to shape LA. And Paul goes on later in his letters to encourage the church to go on being filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Billy Graham, the great American evangelist who had a life-changing encounter with the Holy Spirit, puts it like this. It's interesting to note that the command to be filled with the Spirit actually has the idea of continuously being filled. We are to be filled constantly. It might be translated, be filled and keep on being filled Therefore, it's appropriate to understand the filling with the Holy Spirit not as a one-time event, but as an event that can occur over and over again. God fills us, sends us out. Fills us and sends us out. Fills us and sends us out to change the city we find ourselves in. So just like the early church, we need to be a people who continually come back to him to be filled, refreshed, and renewed by his presence. This is where we find the power to shape the city. Praying, seeing, weeping, with celebration and vision of a city burning in our hearts and fueling our prayers, we go out empowered by the Holy Spirit to change L.A., So let me ask a question I often ask myself. Is LA shaping you or are you shaping LA? Is LA shaping you or are you shaping LA? Lastly, we're empowered to live in the city. It's the presence of God that gives us the capacity not just to survive but to thrive in the city. In Acts 4, 32 to 33, we get a picture of the community life of the early church. It says this, all the believers were one in heart and mind, one. What would it look like if LA churches, just LA churches, let alone churches across the globe, let alone churches across America, if we were all one in unity in heart and mind and purpose and vision, No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. The early church were a spirit-filled Jesus community, shaped and formed by doing life together with God at the centre of all they did. They took the power and glory of Pentecost and channeled it into sustainable, transformative practices and rhythms that shaped and formed their personal and corporate life. This is life in the kingdom of God. We do it together. God calls us to be a community. Church is not about shopping around for the best Sunday experience, then going back to live our autonomous lives. It's not a business or a show that we come to be entertained and consume. It's a life lived in a spirit-filled counter-cultural community. God's not looking to build an empire, hire employees or influencers. He's looking for sons and daughters and he wants to build a family and presence himself at the very heart of it. And healthy families attract people impact cities and change culture. Ivan Ilyich, the Catholic priest and philosopher, was once asked, what's the most revolutionary way to change a society? Is it violent revolution or gradual reform? He gave a careful thought to his answer and replied, neither. If you want to change society, you must tell an alternative. This is what the early church did. The world looked at them in awe as to how they lived as a community. In the face of increased persecution, resistance and challenges, they didn't shrink back. They didn't surrender or retreat into a subculture. They lived out an alternative story and changed their cities, not by violent revolution, politics or protests, but by becoming a spirit-filled community, living out a different economy of life. One that was so attractive, people looked with awe at who they were. They saw themselves as the hands and feet of Jesus. And their mission was to carry on his ministry of compassion, transformation and healing. Wherever they found themselves. And God wants us to live this same life. He wants us to see this city and our current culture not as a threat or an enemy to our faith but as an invitation to transformation. The agenda of secular culture right now is not the enemy. There are lost people who need to know the love and power of the kingdom of God. And our task is to represent it, to shine it, to be so filled with God's presence that we leak it everywhere we go. And they say, what's different about you? When we first sense God, calling us, my wife and I, to move to LA. I have to confess, everything resisted it. (laughs) In fact, there were times when there were tears of resistance. Lord, anywhere but there. (laughs) But as I commuted along the 405 for my first year of being at Vintage, uh, from the beautiful promised land of (laughs) O.C., Those of you that are from it's a little nod in your direction. Um, as I commuted in the mornings at 5:30 to beat the traffic uh, and put worship on, as my eyes caught the city of LA, God started to do something in my heart. God, jeez, I'm getting broken by the Lord. It's so annoying. I got a burden. For LA and something began to change. The tears of resistance became tears of hope and vision and purpose because I began to sense that God is in this city and he wants to do something phenomenal in this place. He is on the move in LA people and his invitation to us as we come out from this incredible, bizarre moment of history with a global pandemic and all that's gone on, in all the mess of that darkness and debate and stress, he's asking us to represent him, to reimagine what it looks like to live as a gospelized people of hope and joy and power and presence in this city. The good news is that wherever he sends us, his intention is to envision and equip us to live it out. That's what he does. Read the story. He does it over and over and over again. And I want to say this as simply as I can, that I believe the way the early church was empowered by the Holy Spirit to live the signs, the wonders, the miracle, the power to change their city, is open to us today. That's what we believe in this church. That as Jesus' followers, the same spirit that empowered them, that resided in them, God's glory and presence indwelling them, is able to fill us and empower us today. But just like the early church, we need to be a people who constantly come back to him to be filled, to recognize with humble dependence that we can't live the Christian life without his empowering. It was never meant to be like that. We are meant to be a spirit-dependent and empowered people. So let's pray that right now. I'm gonna invite us to stand. I'm gonna invite you to close your eyes. And we're going to practice and pray an ancient prayer of come Holy Spirit. And it's not that he's coming from out of nowhere. It's that he's going to increase his presence within us. And we just need to humbly acknowledge where we might be dry, where we might be exhausted, where we might need our vision renewed, our passion renewed, where we might have crushed hopes and dreams, where we might be coming out from this season of history feeling a little bit turned over, a little bit upside down, dry and thirsty, and say, Lord, I need you. Would you fill me with your presence? So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and if you wouldn't mind... Extending your hands out in front of you, if that's okay. It's just a sign of receiving from the Lord. I believe he wants to refresh us with his presence. So Holy Spirit, I pray, would you fall in this place afresh? Come, Holy Spirit.